0: Well, good morning again. I love being a pastor here at Redeemer. Uh, it's is my favorite, this is Chris and, my, and our favorite church to uh, work for uh, and to worship under uh, before. Um, and we are truly blessed to be here. And we really hope you feel that way as you're here as well. And maybe one day you'll be a pastor here. <laughs> Um, That's what we're we're hoping for. Um, But before I was a pastor here, and you may, I I shared this before, you may have known that I uh, was an equipment manager for the University of Texas A&M, and I say it that way because we're overtaking the state, Um, (laughs) but I was an equipment manager for Texas A&M, and one of the tasks, uh, Asked of equipment managers is to fix helmets, to do shoulder pads, to do laundry, uh, but we're also asked to set up the practice field, set up cones and, and dummy pads and things like that. And we're each asked to uh, assigned a coach uh, to work under. And I was assigned the tight ends coach. And uh, on this uh, particular day, uh, I was I was asked to be the coach. Our 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 tight ends coach had to go attend a funeral. And uh, we were working with this guy named Martellus Bennett, who was like the number one tight end in the nation coming out of high school, um, who, who is now catching passes in the NFL from Jay Cutler in Chicago. And they're asking me to to coach this guy. <laughs> sure, I can do that. I'm well qualified for that. Uh, you know, make sure he, do, he gets, keeps his pad level down. Make sure he runs the routes crisp. Uh, And most importantly, uh, this is the most important thing, just make sure he's there on time where he needs to be. That's all you need to do. Make sure he gets from point A to point B, and halfway through this one drill, through a running drill, uh, you need to bring him over to the pass skeleton drill. So tight ends do a little bit of both, do the running, blocking, they also do some uh, passing and catching. And so it's halfway through the drill, I look on my note sheet and say, okay, Martellus, it's time to go. Uh, And so tell Martellus Bennett to go over to... Uh, the past skeleton and thinking whew, time to exhale uh, the the scary part of my job for today is over uh, and I so I just watch a few plays run and it just looks bad I mean you might say well it 's a m but <laughs> it just looks bad and, and and the coaches are bewildered going and blowing their whistle they're like what is going on here who's missing their block I'm going something's going on there I don't know what's going on there um, <laughs> why isn't this place running? why isn't this play running like it should and they're saying Who Who's missing? And I go, oh gosh! <laughs> like Martellus, where's Martellus? And I was like, oh, I'll get him, Coach. They can maybe he'll just take the blame, and I'll run scot free. <laughs> so I go get Martellus, and I'm, we're walking back because uh, you know you know elite athletes don't actually run from point A to point B; they walk everywhere. <laughs> so we're walking back, and Coach Francione, the head coach of Texas A and M, is just walking towards us, just angry, He said. Where are you? What are you doing? And Martellus is saying, sorry, coach, sorry, coach. Slim told me to go. And I'm just, I'm walking behind them. They're walking in front. I'm walking behind them going, oh, gosh, I know where this is going. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he's like, what? I said, Slim told me to go. And I said, so, <laughs> I'll keep it clean. And he said, who is Slim? <laughs> Head coach of Texas a football. Who is Slim? <laughs> and she's like, hey, Martellus does the the, the thumb point. <laughs> And I was just like, "Hey, Coach!" (laughs) And he just gives me this death stare, like he just goes, "You let me be the coach?" (laughs) She's like, "Okay, okay, yes, sir. May I shine your shoes? You know, whatever, baby." But (laughs) he's asking the question, Martellus: Who is Slim? Who gave you the authority to just leave? And that's the question we're going we're gonna to be uh, tackling today, is not who is slim, but <laughs> who's given the authority? Who are you? Who are you? What authority do you actually have in this world to actually go about your life and to live your daily lives? And so we're going to be talking about authority, we're going to be talking about our natural daily lives and the monotonous uh, authority, although it's going to seem very odd when we look at exorcisms and things like this, but we're going to talk about who actually has authority here on earth, and so please stand for the reading of God's word.
1: Acts 19, 11 through 20. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced mag- magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The Word of the Lord. Be to God.
0: seated. Father, we come to you this morning. We're reminded that the grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of the Lord lives forever. And so may your word live forever in our hearts and give us that on-the-spot change that your word can so easily accomplish just by hearing your word spoken seconds ago. And so Lord, act upon us, work on our hearts this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I love passages like today. I absolutely love them uh, because I would never, ever, ever choose to preach this passage unless I was assigned to do it. <laughs> if I was visiting a church and it's thought, okay, what does this church really need to hear? What, what's, what's going on? What's their struggle? And I started to think, you know what? Here's a gem of a passage. Let's look for cult towel, or uh, sweat towels, cult exorcisms, and book burnings. That's what that church really needs to hear and learn about. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. That where is that? Oh, it's in Acts 19. That's the one I was looking for. <laughs> Uh, but that's the beautiful thing about preaching through the Bible expositionally, as Jeff and I do, is we, we work through books of the Bible, uh, and we work through all of them. We, we try not to skip over these odd, uh, difficult passages, and it forces our hands uh, to actually wrestle and grapple with uh, very beautiful texts and to, to unpack them a little bit. And so it forces our hand and, and the readers to give it a little bit broader, more wider context and a, bit of, a bigger view of God's Word. And so I love, I love the way we do it. Uh, and this text is, is obviously, it's, it's talking about authority. Yes, we're going to be talking about sweat towels and cult exorcisms and book burnings, but we're going to be talking about authority this morning. And obviously the authority, one who actually has the power to say things, the one who actually has, uh, who's actually in charge, more so than just telling an NFL player to go from point A to point B, more authority than that, uh, the ultimate supreme authority. And that ultimate supreme authority is thought to be in question ever since the beginning of the world. Ever since the beginning of the world, wonder, who's actually in charge here? Who actually rules this world? Now, God creates the world, and therefore he has ownership and, and seems to rule. It seems, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> it, it is ruling. But then the fall happens, and the devil seemingly thwarts God's plans, right? Right? And devil is called the the prince of this world. So if he's the prince of this world, what authority does a prince have over this world? Who's actually in charge? Uh, And note, yes, there was a fall. God did not make Adam and Eve fall, did not make them sin. But there was a fall. But right in that fall, right after it happens, God promises full vindication, full justice as it happens. In Genesis 3.15, he, he promises to completely overrule Satan in such a way that when he steps on the serpent's head, he does so, so harshly, so convincingly, so conclusively that it crushes the serpent's head. And as it crushes the serpent's head, it bruises God's heel. And so from the outset of scripture, God promises, I'm in charge. I'm going to crush my enemy. And then when Jesus arrives on the scene, we're told in 1 John three. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's why Jesus came. Why did he come? To destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews says the same thing. He comes out to finish Satan and his works. He takes aim and targets the devil, and he aims at embarrassing him. I mean, the devil, thinking himself uh, to be a little wiser than Jesus, who's not even born yet, if if we go to the incarnation He's about to be born, and the devil thinks, I'll get him. I'll make the rulers of this world set out to kill every newborn male. And Jesus, who's not even yet born, has the authority to relocate himself. <laughs> not even yet present. He escapes. And so from the very beginning of his ministry, it's clear that Jesus is going to win this battle. And in the very beginning of his actual ministry, he goes out into the desert. And he's led into the desert, not by the, not by Satan. He's led into the desert by the Holy Spirit. Led into the desert to do what? To contend in war and wage war with Satan. And Satan tries to tempt him three times with this, that, and the other, and he beats him every time. And he comes out of the the wilderness, and the first thing he says when he comes out of the wilderness is, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Saying, it's inaugurating now. <laughs> it's the now and not yet. It's, be, it's happening now. My kingdom is coming into this world right now. And so he's saying Jesus is in control. And then Satan schemes and finds ways to, to dupe Judas, who betrays Jesus. And, say, and, and Jesus gets, goes to the cross and is crucified. And Satan thinks he wins, but Jesus beats him then. He dies, but he comes back to life. Death can't beat him. And so at that point, at that point, Jesus beats Satan and his angels definitively right then. And at that point, Satan and his angels are now like a, a dog with a collar, with a leash, bound in the center of a yard. He can roam around for a little bit, but he's bound like a, like a, a dog on a leash. <laughs> he can roam around. Did you know? He can roam around, but he's bound He's bound to hell. And so, showing how much authority God has over the spiritual world right at the cross. And you might ask, okay, why all this background? Well, the de- devil is none other than a fallen angel. He's an angel. They're not scary, hideous creatures. They're actually supposedly the most beautiful creatures. And Satan himself, the most beautiful. And when he falls, he then takes other angels with him to be against God and his plan. And they're, they're, they can be referred to as, as fallen angels or evil spirits or demons. We're talking about the same creature here. They're all referring to the same type of angel being opposed to God. And so what's true of, what's true, what's true of the devil is true of them. They're created beings under God's control. And so when Jesus Christ binds Satan, he actually binds these demons as well. So, as you're watching these scary movies like The Conjuring and things like that, you, you, you don't have to get uber scared and say, I'm going to give the money to the church to, to, you know, to protect yourself, as Wes Tandy does many times. <laughs> <laughs> you know that they're actually bound, God is actually in control, even over those evil spirits today. So when God says in verse 11, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them, what we're seeing is not this magical handkerchief from Paul. Not this magical handkerchief that touches a a demon and all of a sudden magically the demon escapes. We're seeing God cast out and destroy fallen angels just like he did the devil. Nothing new. That's what these exorcisms are. Now, it's important to note that Paul didn't have any special superhero powers. Uh, he wasn't given that, uh, this extra power to cast out demons more than we may be. He didn't bless these handkerchiefs and promise healing. As soon as you send in your gift of $29.99, um, then the, the blessing will come. Um, no, these miracles were performed only as a witness only as proof or validation of Paul's ministry. It's to prove the, the, the realness that God actually works in this world. And so, I mean, I mean, think about it. There's, there's plenty of charlatans, there's plenty of con artists, even today. There's plenty of con artists in that day. We saw that in the Middle Ages, right, when you have the Roman Catholic Church came with the idea of selling relics of saints uh, to help those in purgatory or, or to, to heal illnesses, that's not what's going on here. Paul's handkerchiefs are not like that. They're not these pristine things. The word handkerchief is, is actually his sweat towel. It's disgusting towel <laughs> or, or an apron. Um, and so, what's going on here, and the thrust here, is that God's saying, even something as menial as Paul's sweat towel. Being thrown over a demon could cast out a demon because Paul was coming and preaching and teaching the name of Jesus Christ and his authority over all of the world. So even a sweat towel could cast out a demon because it was proclaiming the name of Jesus' authority over this world. And so that in every part of life, Christ would say, mine, you don't own that person. And so with complete control, even over these evil spirits, let's keep that in mind. Let's reread verses 13 and 14. And some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul proclaims, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. Now remember, we're in Ephesus, and this city is actually known for being very superstitious. They're actually very traditional uh, ancient Judaism, but in that ancient Judaism, uh, there was a lot of occult practices, uh, a lot of witchcraft, and it became so popular, it became acceptable, even in the Jewish world, which was a clear violation of God's law. Clear violation of God's law. God says in Deuteronomy, There shall be not found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices div- divination nor tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a wizard or a necromancer for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. But then you look at these seven sons of Siva who are sons of a Jewish high priest of the area. You think that may not match up. Their theology may not match up with them uh, leading this cult witchcraft uh, practice. They appeared to live by a different law they live by the law of pragmatism, and we, we we know that one, right? If it works, go for it, do it. If it works, go for it. We might say the end justifies the mean. I don't know how we got here, but I know that we got here. That's all that matters. Um, who cares about how we got there as long as it works? Uh, it makes me think of there was a, a Bud Light campaign uh, a few, uh, I don't know, maybe a, a year or so ago, uh, and it was a very funny campaign, uh, and it listed all of the odd things that sports fans do, and its slogan was, it's only weird if it doesn't work. <laughs> Right? I really, did, I really resonated with that. It's only weird if it doesn't work. And so, I list off all of these things that that uh, superstitious sports fans do, uh, like uh, wear their 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 hat backwards, uh, or never change their underwear, or <laughs> grow a beard, or invite the right amount of friends over at the right time, sit in the right spot. I'm curious what your uh, superstitions might be for your team. Um, but the the thought was, it's only weird. If it doesn't work. Otherwise, that was it. That's how we won. <laughs> I'm so good for my team. Um, the Jews realized that their, their superstitions, their incantations for casting out demons weren't working. People were getting demon possessed and they're trying to, trying to cast out demons and it's not working anymore. And so they start going with what works. Well, Paul is casting out demons left and right in the name of Jesus. Let's do that. <laughs> uh, and so apparently, the, these seven sons were very good at their job because this was their job. There were seven of them. They had such a good vocation that it could support seven different people in this cult-like practice. And so all comes all comes to them. All comes down to this demon-possessed man comes to them. And they're saying, we're going to cast this guy out, and we're going to do it in Jesus' name. And let me read it to you here. It says, I adjure you by Jesus who Paul proclaims. Do you hear the qualifiers there? I cast you out in the name of Jesus who I don't believe in, but Paul does. (laughs) And I mean, imagine that scene just the fear of the, <laughs> these seven guys. You have this demon who knows these guys have nothing to do with Jesus, who have actually no power over him. <laughs> He's probably laughing inside. They have no power. This zilch. And he says, Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. But who are you? Who is slim? <laughs> I'm not saying Coach Fran was a demon. It's possible. Um, What are you (laughs) doing? Forgive me. Forgive me. The demon's say, what are you even doing here? I'm watching you cast out demons left and right and, and with no authority. Yeah, try to cast me out. Let's see how that works for you. And he's heard of Jesus. He's recognized Paul. But this is all you got. And so the demons and evil evil angels, we know that they're they're not omniscient. They don't know all things. But they were created before the world was even created. So they're old. They're old, old spirits. They know some things. They probably even learned some ways to hurt people over the last 6,000 or however many years it is. And they come to this guy who's who's these group of guys who are known as Jewish. Their dad is a high priest. They're saying, wait a second, you're a Jew. You don't even believe in Jesus. And you're qualifying it and saying, we cast you out in the name of Jesus who Paul believes in. We don't have anything to do with him. And he says, who are you? And you go into this scene. I mean, it's like a scene from a horror movie. I mean, this, what happens next makes me think of, have you seen The Sixth Sense? Very old movie, I know. Uh, but it makes me think of The Sixth Sense where the kid's at that birthday party and he walks up to the top stairs and there's that room and he gets locked into that room and you just hear the crying and beating and things going on. You're going, what's going on? Ghost is beating this kid. Obviously, we don't believe that. that that's unreal. But what's going on here? This man... This man is is being possessed by a demon like a ventriloquist, speaking through him and like a dummy, using him. And this one man takes on seven men in this house. You think one of them might have ran out the door at some point. Somehow he locked those doors and gave them such a beating that they all walked away naked naked. And hurt, and it says the Greek talks about their injuries were so bad that it took them a very long time to be healed from this. I mean, it's it's a frightening thing to be able to say they came in contact with this demon of superhuman strength. I bet you have lots of questions (laughs) when it comes to this stuff. We have lots of questions. Um, One of them might be asking, you know, wait a second, how does a non-Christian cast out a demon? How did this work before? You know, why why would the other exorcisms work? And not this one. Well, great question. I'm so glad you asked that. Um, <laughs> think about those people who were freed from the demon possession before. Those that were actually freed from demon possession, that the seven sons of Siva actually performed their exorcism, and it worked. Think about the person who was freed from that exorcism. What's, what would be their response? Apparently, Jesus has no authority here. I'll follow these guys. So these demons are v- tricky in that they're, ha- they're faking pseudo-exorcisms so that people would believe in the sev- seven sons of Siva. The other demons left willingly to continue to oppress people, to get them to trust in themselves and not in the name of Jesus. I mean, this is the most dangerous thing in the world. Think about it. When things are going so well, when things are going well for you, who do you ultimately trust in? I'm doing pretty good. Must have been something I did. It's only when the pain hits that we actually look outside of ourselves. Another question you might be asking is, well, then why does the demon actually fight back now? Another great question. Thank you, Joel. Um, (laughs) I believe that this is actually God being gracious to this demon-possessed man. He's actually being gracious to the seven sons of Stephen. He's actually being gracious to the the city at large as we we all Shoot, soon shall see. Um, God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. This is a phrase we've been using a lot uh, the last couple uh, weeks, given uh, Barbara Duguid's Extravagant Grace book. Um, he allows pain to hit us in our lives to actually fuel true joy. Oh, the joy that we may be having be false joy, joy rooted in in ourselves, joy rooted in uh, how I've been the savior of my world, how I've been the one uh, that's actually got myself out of these bad situations. And God allows these painful times to hit us and hit us hard, to wake us up, to actually look outside of ourselves. And that's what's going on here. He allows these seven charlatans to get such a beating and in so doing, in verse 17, it says, And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Men and women seeing that they just can't use a simple formula, a simple incantation, uh, a script. Expelliarmus! <laughs> they can't use that. They can't use that. No, what this is pointing us to is that very last sentence there. The name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. No magic formula will do. And all throughout the New Testament, we're seeing this. Every time a demon is cast out, it's not done with this this script, this specific formula to cast out a demon. It's different every time a demon is cast out. They might just say out. They might throw a, a sweat rag on them. All... Point, the only constant there, the only thing that, that, that relates them all, is that there is authority of the name of Jesus over all of this. Why? Because Jesus loves to kick out demons. <laughs> he loves to kick out demons. He aimed to do it in Genesis 3.15. He aimed to end their victory Their pseudo victory then, and he he nailed it at the cross, and he's kicking them out left and right, and he gives that power to the disciples to do likewise. He says, so that all of the world, he might yell, mine. His power is over all of it. Verse 18, also many of those who are now believers came confessing, in divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to come to 50,000 pieces of silver. And so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. I mean, this is phenomenal. Think about what is actually happening here. It says these were believers. These believers who had been going astray Saw, saw, the, saw that their theology wasn't matching up with their actions. They were going for the, the pragmatism mentality that even though their magic was striking at the heart of their religion, they finally came and says they confessed in the word there, they divulged their practices, which literally means they revealed their spells. They told how it's done. Here's, here's how my spell works. And in, in magic theory, The only good spell is a secret one. And so by coming out and saying, here's how I do it, they've given up all of that power and all of the hope in that old way of life. And then they come and they burn books. (laughs) They're giving up all their magic and they're saying the satanic game is over. I'm giving up all these books. Now, these aren't Harry Potter books, by the way. (laughs) Let me just clarify that. That's a story story. It's a good story. actually has Christian themes in it. These are actual scary books, dark magic, to be able to connect with dark spiritual demons, to be able to do witchcraft. These are, these are actual evil books that they're bringing forward, and they're having this giant book burning, so much so that they get 50,000 pieces of silver out of it, or what it's worth. And because of that, a revival is brewing. People are believing People are giving up what they hold so dear themselves. They're giving up that little, little pocket of life that they said, I'm a believer, but I want this little pet sin to myself. And they're divulging their secrets and giving up all of their power. And they're saying, if Jesus is Lord and Savior, he's even Lord and Savior over this area of my life. And he's also even able to save me from those sins. And because I know that he's able to even cover those sins, I'm going to come to him freely and I'm going to give up these books freely. We may not be struggling to give up magic. <laughs> we may not be struggling to give up the dark arts books. But I do believe Christ is calling you all, all of us, you and me, to give up a book. And it's that book of Self-reliance. This whole passage is, a, is about authority and about whose name you are living under. And so many times, we learned, I live under the authority in the name of Slim. I work in the name of Slim. I try to love in the name of Slim. I try to be patient in the name of Slim. I try to do ministry in my own name. And what this, book, what this passage, I believe, is calling us to is to give up that book of self-reliance. And so whatever tough thing is going on in life with you right now, it's so easy to say, that I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrestle through this on my own. And he's saying, Christ is king over all areas of life. It's in Jesus' name that all authority is given. And we are living in our own name. Like the group of these believers, like the seven sons of Siva, we can be duped by these demons, especially, especially when it's going well. If I'm in control of everything, if, I'm, if I have a good paying job, if I'm not sick or I don't have any illness afflicting me, again, so easy to trust in myself. Things are going well, I must be doing something right. I know no need of you, Jesus. Thank you very much. And our, our faith just becomes a religion. It's just a show. Or maybe the opposite is true of you. Maybe things aren't going well. And You say, Jesus has no authority here. He can't actually help me. He can't actually answer prayers. I, I need to fix what God has messed up. Man, oh man. I need to hear that. I need to hear how, how sinful I've been with that. But think about when we pray. When we end our prayers, what do we end our prayers with? What's the end of most of your prayers? In Jesus' name we pray. Why do we say that? Is that the magic formula? Is that the incantation? Why do we say in Jesus' name we pray? Because we're proclaimed that he has the power. We're coming to him through Jesus' blood We're coming to him through his name, and then he actually has the power to interrupt this world and work on us. So when we pray, we're asking God to actually come in this world and interrupt our plans. In Jesus' name we pray. We actually trust that he can actually work. And I confess right now, when tough things are happening with foster care, which we're going through right now, which we'd love for you guys to join us in a meeting afterwards, when tough things are going on, when the government seems to be really slow when the courts seem to have no interest and people seem to be not caring about our our foster son, my first thought is not in Jesus' name, Lord, interrupt this world and care for my foster boy. My first thought is to complain, say how slow they are and how inept and unprepared these people are. And say, Does anyone care about our baby boy? And Jesus is saying, Yes, someone does. Come to me. In Jesus' name, you pray. I'll interrupt this world. In Jesus' name, we have all the authority to actually cast out demons. We actually can go to the Lord and say, Lord, heal this person. And healings may happen to battle sin, to pray our hearts desire. We have all that authority because he actually came and he claimed that victory on the cross. He set out a rescue plan from the beginning of time to destroy the destroyer, to bind the liar, to arrest and judge the accuser, and he beat him then. And it came to full fruition on that cross. And as Satan thought, ironically, now that I'm going to stab him with this spear, he actually slits his own throat. And he has no power. By Jesus' death, you are secured a special status with God as a son and a daughter in his family. And you have a God who is now for you, who wants, you to, hear, wants to hear your prayers in Jesus' name. The devil's doom is sure and your future is secure. And so this week, call on Jesus' name. Call on him, on him, who actually has authority. When things are going tough, call on him not on yourself this week. When you feel slighted, when you don't feel like things are going, the world isn't fair, there's no justice, call on him who is the right judge and the good judge. When you don't feel like life is worth living anymore, call on him who actually gives life itself. Call on him, in him, in Jesus' name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: let's pray shall we oh lord we thank you for your word we
0: thank you for the preached word we thank you for the power of the gospel the life of god and good news we thank you jesus that you have accomplished our salvation and that right now you reign and rule with all authority in heaven and on earth and that we can come to you um broken beat up discouraged depressed happy joyful expectant Uh, trusting you we can come in whatever manner and state and condition we're in because you have all authority over every condition every state every place we're in so lord push this word in our lives now push it deep throughout the rest of this week and we ask this in your name amen